Hey, good morning. My name is Justin, and I am the student pastor here at Hilton Head Island Community Church. Today is actually exactly two months since uh, my family and I moved here to the island, so we haven't been here for too long, but it's been an exciting and a fun road. I was actually gone for most of my first month here, and then uh, Todd's been on sabbatical for my second month, but he did pop in this morning, and he offered me the words of encouragement of, don't screw it up. So... (laughs) That's, uh, that's what I got this morning. I'm actually convinced he popped back in just to be here in case I crash and burn. He'll come back up here and take care of things. But uh, I really am excited to get to be here this morning and to speak to you all for the first time and to get to continue us on in our series, AKA God, where we have really taken the last few weeks to get to explore some of the names and the characteristics of God as we are kind of answering the question, what are, what are some other things that God is known as, and what is the significance of those names for us? And so uh, I wanted to start this morning and say, you know, there's really two reasons that I love this series. For one, uh, as a pastor, you know, I think one of our most humbling and important responsibilities is, is really to paint a clearer picture of who God is, to, to give people a, a more accurate understanding of that. Most of the time, we have to do that through kind of sermons and, and weaving together scripture of what God has done so that you can see who he is. But in this, in this series, I just get to go for it and just say, this is who God is to you. So it makes my job a little bit easier. And I think that that is really, really important. You know, uh, A.W. Tozer was a pastor in uh, the 20th century who said this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now, I think that sounds a little bit dramatic when you first hear it. You know, it sounds like, okay, that's, you know, easy for the pastor to say in church. But when you really think about it, I think there's a lot of merit to what he said. That what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because what comes into our minds when we think about God forms the foundation for our worldview. It really, it influences how you think and what you think. And it influences how you act and how you relate to other people. You know, if, uh, if maybe you're someone who doesn't think there's a God at all, that could be a license for you to, to do whatever you want. Or if you're someone who kind of primarily sees God as a, a supervisor in the sky who's watching everything you do, that could lead to a lot of fear and anxiety and maybe even anger. And so what we think about God affects us a lot of ways in our day-to-day life, not to mention the fact that if you're a Christian, then we believe what, what you think and believe about God influences your eternity too. So this is a, an incredibly important topic, and uh, it's, it's really humbling to get to speak on it. And just to kind of fill you guys in, if you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, or to remind those of you who have, we started the series out two weeks ago, uh, and our friend uh, Clint Trebish came in from Atlanta and talked to us about how God is faithful. And then our own Jerry McCarran came in last week, and he gave an incredible sermon on uh, the Hebrew name for God, El Shaddai, that God is almighty or all-sufficient. And those are really some incredible characteristics about God. But unfortunately, I think that a lot of us, especially people outside of the church, but even people who follow Jesus, tend to see those things and think, okay, that's great. That's great that God is faithful. And that's great that God's powerful. But does it really matter to me in my day-to-day life? Is God really that close to me? Does he affect me on a day-to-day basis? And a lot of times, we don't live like that. We don't think like that. And so I have the privilege this morning of digging in a little deeper and hopefully getting to show you a little bit more about a God who wants to be right there with you. And, uh, you know, as an example of kind of this way of thinking, I had the opportunity to be with some of our students 
just, just a couple of months ago, um, and I got to sit down with five of them, five boys to be specific, and uh, we sat down in small group, and I asked them to take a couple of minutes and sit and think, and then to describe God in one word. The answers that I got from them were ruler, powerful, love, pass, and creator. And I don't, there's nothing wrong with any of those answers, right? Those are all really true about God. But I think what those answers reveal to me is that we might be missing the main thing. Because it's not just those students. I think that's indicative of how a lot of us think about God, even in the church. And I think we need a reminder of the number one way that God reveals himself to us. It's the way that Jesus addressed God in Scripture more than any other name combined. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus addresses God by this name every single time but one. And in that one time, he's quoting Old Testament Scripture, and he's just staying true to the text there. And so uh, this morning, we get to dig in really into the core of who God is and how I think that God wants us to relate to him and understand him more than any other way. Now, this would be a lot more dramatic if it hadn't been up on the screen behind me for the last 10 minutes, but <laughs> this morning, I want us to dig in to the fact that God is our Father. He is our Father. And unfortunately, I think a lot of times that we lose sight a little bit of how incredible that is and how radical it is. You know, J.I. Packer says this. He was another important theologian, and apparently to be one of those guys, you have to go by your initials because that seems to be a trend here. Uh, you'll, trust me, it happens more. You'll see it later. Uh, but he says this, and I think this is, is really a great statement. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and his prayers and his whole outlook on life, then it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, Everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. And I think that Packer nailed it. Understanding God as our father is critical to our relationship with him. And honestly, I think it, it really determines sometimes if we have a relationship with him because I know that there are people including myself, that sat in church for years and heard all about this God but didn't really meet him until they learned about him as a God who loves them and calls his, uh, himself their father. And so this, this concept is really important. And uh, like I said, I think we've lost touch a little bit with how radical of an idea this is. You know, when Jesus walked onto the scene 2,000 years ago, the idea of God as our personal father was completely unheard of. You know, ancient religions kind of portrayed God, or I should say the gods really, you know, as rulers and warriors and funky half-animal things and uh, you know, kind of more cosmic soap opera stars than, than what we get to see God as today. A personal God that wants to be with us and that loves us as a father. That idea had never been taught before Jesus you know, even within Judaism, there was a, a sense of God as father, but it was God as a father of the nation in more of a corporate sense. You know, Jewish people didn't walk around with an understanding of a personal God who wanted to be invested in their life as a father. 
And so Jesus introduced this concept that was completely radical, and he walked onto the scene and uh, into the middle of a religious environment where you know, most people were striving desperately to make sure that they lived up to God's expectations, and they were making sacrifices just to make sure that God was happy with them. And if they weren't doing that, they were in the group of people who looked at the whole religious system and were so jaded by it that they didn't even care about it anymore. And Jesus walked into that scene, and he sat down with people, and he prayed with them, and he healed them, and he loved them, and he told them about a God who didn't just want them to, to get everything right and to follow all the rules or you know, wasn't involved in all the craziness of what other, the other ancient religions said, but he told them about a God who loved them and wanted to be their father. And it changed the world. You know, a group of, uh, of 12 guys and Jesus in the corner of the Roman Empire and just a few short centuries, the, the ideas that they were teaching about the love of God took over the entire Roman Empire and eventually became its official religion because that concept of God as our Father is radical. And so uh, I, want, I want to just give you an example to kind of get in touch with this a little bit this morning. I want you to imagine with me for a second that you're a kid again. I want you to think about yourself and I want you to imagine that you, uh, you're an orphan and every day you're sitting in the orphanage and day after day goes by the same way. There's no real hope, no expectation for anything to change and there's nothing really that you can do about it until you're 18 and even then, um, you know, it, it's kind of uncertain what your prospects are going to be like. And day after day after day goes by with that sense of no hope. Until one day, the person who runs the orphanage comes in and they get you and they, they take you to a room and they tell you, hey, someone's here to adopt you today. And they sit you down at a table and they say, I'm going to go get them and bring them in in just a second, so just sit right here. And they walk out. And while you're sitting there, you, you sit and you look on the table and there's a, a, just a packet of paper sitting there. And so you're waiting and, and you pull it across and you look at it and it's a profile of the person who's going to adopt you. And so you look at it and you see the name and you look and you see that the person who's going to adopt you is Bill Gates. Or maybe let's say, let's say Jeff Bezos, whoever's uh, stock price has made them the richest person in the world for the moment. Can you imagine for a second, can you put yourself in those shoes and think about what the implications of that would be for you? How, how staggering the implications for your life would be, the, the dramatic change in trajectory that that would make on your life because of one of those people adopting you. And if you can imagine how unbelievable the implications of one of them adopting you are, I want us to realize this morning that when the God of the universe adopts you and calls you his child and calls himself your father, that the implications of that are even bigger. You can't, you can't even comprehend what the implications of what God does for us as a father are. And so this morning, I want to I try to just touch on five of those implications that I think are some of the, the most critical ones to us understanding God as our Father and for seeing how that affects how we live our lives and walk out our faith as his children. And so uh, we're going to start this morning with number one. I think the first implication of having God as our Father is that God has a mission for you. Your Father has a mission for you. If, if you're a note taker, this is kind of the time to start because we'll go through all five of these here in order. And so number one is, is your father has a mission for you. You know, I think if you got adopted by Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates, there's a pretty solid chance that you could have a job at Amazon or Microsoft. I think they can probably open the door for you. 
And the same thing is true that when God adopts you as his son, as your father, he's got a job for you. And he wants you to jump in because God's in the business of reconciling the universe to himself. Everything that we look out and we see that's wrong with the world and the universe, God has a plan for fixing. And he's in the business of healing the hurting and redeeming the broken and the lost. And God wants you, when you're adopted, to join in the family business. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of us kind of take just the perspective on things that when we're adopted by God, it's, it's, it's time to kick back and relax and we're good now. We've got safety and comfort, and we're going to heaven, and uh, it's, you know, it's, it's just an easy road for us. And that's not at all what God intends for us when he adopts us. I think uh, you know, one of the things that I've seen in so many people, and that I'd offer as a suggestion this morning, is that uh, even people who follow Christ a lot of times feel like my relationship with God isn't that close. It doesn't feel that intimate. I don't feel that love of God and that kind of tangible presence every day. And I want to suggest to you this morning that maybe if that's you, that what could be happening is that your father's getting up every morning and he's going to work and he's jumping out into the messiness of the world and the broken people out there and he's, he's going and he's trying to heal and help and he's trying to spread the good news about him. And it might be that you're still sitting on the sidelines. And so I'd suggest to you this morning that if, if you want to see God work in you more, then maybe you need to let him work through you more and to join him out in that messiness, to get out there and to jump in and healing and serving and spreading good news about his son. And that when you do that, you'll find that you get to spend more time with God where he's at, out in the world, in the, in the middle of, uh, of those people that need his love. And so the nice thing is, is that when God gives us a mission, he, he doesn't just send us out with no equipping. And implication number two this morning is that Your father will provide for you. Your father will give you what you need. And you know, there's no one more capable of taking care of you than God. As much as uh, we look at Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates and say, yeah, if they're adopting, sign me up. You know, they'd be able to take care of me. God can do it even better, right? We serve a God who says the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. Just kind of a funky and old school way of saying it's all mine, Right? And he's generous with it. God is willing to give to you. If, uh, if we look for a second at Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11, uh, it should come up on the screen. God, uh, or Jesus really, he tells us this. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. Or which one of you, if, if your son asks for, him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, don't you think that the Father in heaven will give good gifts to you who ask him? God's generous with what he has and he's willing to give to you. But there are a couple of clarifications here, right? God doesn't give us just everything we want. God gives us what we need. And the thing here, and this is even a little bit harder for us to grasp sometimes, uh, is that God doesn't give us what we need to have a safe, comfortable, easy life. God gives us what we need to do the job that he has for us. 
And so if you're someone here this morning that God's given you much, that's awesome. Use what he's given you in the places and with the people that you have access to to do the job that he has for you. And if God's given you less than that, that's great too. God's given you exactly what you need to do the job that he has for you in the places and with the people that you have access to. And so we we should be grateful to what the Father gives us and realize that he's giving us what we need to do what he wants us to do. And so this morning, uh, I think what even kind of the next better truth is, is not just that God gives us a job and he says, all right, here's what you need. He loads us up and he sends us off and says, all right, go get it done. I'll check back in with you in a little while. No, the God that we serve says, I'm going to go with you. And implication number three of having our God as a father to us is this. It's that your father guides and corrects you. He walks with you every step of the way to give you guidance. And when you start to stray off the path, he's going to be there with love and forgiveness to discipline you and correct you because he's got a bigger picture in mind and he knows where you're going and he's going to do what it takes to get you there. I want us to look at uh, Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. It says, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. You know, most of the time we, uh, we don't really like the discipline of the Lord that much. It's not the most fun, but because he's our father, we should know that he does it because he loves us. And he's guiding us towards a better future with him. And he's got the big picture in mind. And the way that he guides us a lot of times is, is one step at a time. You know, God often asks us to step out in faith and to take one step with him. And when we get there, he shows us the next step. And sometimes it, he doesn't even do that. Sometimes God asks us to sit in seasons where we're waiting for him to show us what's next. And he just asks us to sit and be with him. And I don't know if you uh, are anything like me, those are not easy seasons. Uh, I know for me, and I think probably for a lot of us, we like a little thing called control. And we want the plan. We want God to show us uh, not just what's going on right now. We want to know what's next and what's next after that. And we want the 10-year plan. And we want to know what's God doing with our life. And God usually doesn't do that. And I think the reason that God doesn't give us a plan is because we would follow it. God doesn't give us a plan because we would follow the plan and not him. And he wants us to have something so much better than a blueprint. He wants us to have a father who's with us every step of the way. Because the road that the father calls us to is not necessarily an easy one. And it's so much better to have someone who's bigger and stronger than you with you than to be out on your own with a map. And so as tough as it is in those seasons of wanting to know what's next, it's, it's God sitting with us and asking us to be dependent on him and to trust that he's going to guide us and correct us as we go. And you know, I think uh, what's even, even better than that is that not only does he go with us, That implication number four this morning is that he promises to protect us and to comfort us. He promises that as we go, not that we won't suffer, not that we won't go through hard things, but that 
He'll be there by our side and that he has the ultimate destination in mind. And whatever God has planned for you, he'll get you there. And he'll protect you along the way to get there. And uh, as we look just at John 10, 27 through 30, Jesus shares this truth with us. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. He's bigger and stronger than anyone else and no one's going to be able to snatch them out of his hand. I and the Father are one. And so Jesus shares this truth that if God's got a plan for you, he's going to get you where he wants you to go. No one's going to be able to take you off of that path. And even when that's not an easy road, God's going to be there with you in the middle of it. He says in, uh, or Paul, I should say, tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any, in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You know, I think that it's pretty incredible of what Paul's attitude is here because most of us would much rather pray, blessed be the God and Father who has spared me from all affliction. And that's not what Paul says. Paul says in the middle of the afflictions, blessed is a God who calls himself my Father and walks with me in the middle of it and comforts me and he does it because he's got a bigger picture in mind and he's equipping me so that I can go out and do the job that he has for me and to get in the messiness of people's lives and to comfort them with the same way that I've been comforted from my own mess. And I love that, that that's what Paul has to say. And you know, honestly, Jesus gave us the ultimate example of understanding that bigger picture that God has for us and being trusting and willing to go with them in the process you know, in the darkest hour of the night when Jesus was betrayed, this is what he did. This is in Mark 14, 32 through 36. He's, uh, the disciples went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John. And Jesus began to be greatly distressed and sorrowful. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, but yet not what I will, but what you will. Now Jesus turned to his father in the middle of the hardest thing that the Father was going to ask him to do. And he turned to him because he loved him and because the Father loved him. And Jesus knew that he could rest in that and that God was there to comfort us. That brings us to the last point this morning, the last kind of implication of having God as our Father. And I honestly think that this is the most radical part of what having God as our Father means, and I think it might be why some of you are here this morning. Because implication number five of having God as our Father 
is that your father loves you. And not only does he love you, he delights in you. And for whatever reason, I think that's the hardest truth for some of us to grasp. That even some of us who follow Jesus, I don't know if we think or at least we live like that God's primary attitude towards us is indifference or maybe even irritation. And I want to tell you this morning that if you've been adopted by God as his child, that God's primary attitude towards you is anything but indifference and irritation. It's love and it's delight in you. It's, it's delight so much so that Paul prays in Ephesians and he asks that his brothers and sisters there would have the strength to comprehend the love that God has for them. And it's a delight that's even stronger than when I get to come home and I get to see my two little kids, Blakely and Ryan, and I get to hear Blakely squeal daddy and run up to me when she sees me after being at work. Or when I get to see Ryan's little smile now that he has. And God's delighted, you, delighted in you in a way that's even stronger than that. And it doesn't waver, it doesn't fade, it doesn't go away based on what you've done. His delight's there for you every morning regardless of what you did the day before. And his love does not change. And I want to share with you uh, just a little excerpt from uh, a book called Orthodoxy, which sounds kind of like the most boring thing ever. Uh, it's, by, it's by another guy who uh, is named G.K. Chesterton. I'm telling you, all these guys go by their initials. I don't know what the deal is. I'm going to start just changing and asking that people call me J.P. Boyder now, just because it sounds more credible, I think. I, I tell you, it's just instant credibility right there. But I, I love what, what Chesterton writes, because I think it gives us a little bit of the sense of the joy that we should get from the love of God and a little bit of, of a sense of God's consistency and his unwavering ability to day in and day out be there for us and to love us regardless of what we've done the day before. And so I just want you to sit and to listen to this and to kind of soak it in for a second. And it might take you a second to kind of track with it, but just bear with me. Chesterton says, The sun rises every morning. I don't rise every morning, but the variation is due not to my activity, but to my inaction. In other words, when I'm too lazy to get out of bed. Now to put the matter in a popular phrase or to say it a little differently, maybe it's true that the sun rises regularly because it never gets tired of rising. Its routine might be due not to lifelessness, not to the dull, dull, boring way that we normally perceive routine, but to a rush of life. The thing I mean can be seen, for instance, in children. When they find some game or joke that they especially enjoy, because children have a bounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again! And the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It's possible that God says every morning to the sun, do it again. And every evening to the moon, do it again. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately for he's never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy for we have sinned and grown old 
but our Father is younger than we. That's the God who calls himself your Father and who never gets tired of loving you, who regardless of what you do, never is not there in the morning to shower his delight on you. And he wants to be with you. He wants you to have a part of what he's doing and to be in relationship with him, to enjoy the wonder and the love that he has for you. And so as we wrap up today, I I do want to clarify something because when we talk about God as our father, there's kind of two ways that we can go about it. There's one way in which we can talk about God as the father of humanity and the universe because he, he created it all in kind of a universal sense, and that's true. But the focus of Scripture and the focus of Jesus when he talks about God as our Father is on the personal relationship God has with those who have been born again and adopted into God's family because they've received and trusted in Christ. And so this morning, uh, I want to share with you a truth just from John 14. This is verses 6 and 7. And Jesus, uh, Jesus tells us that he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him because you've seen Jesus. And so this morning, if, uh, as we've talked about God as a Father, if you don't feel like you've ever known God in that way, the best advice that I can give to you is to know Jesus. Because Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. And he came and he paid a price. Because in our own natural state, we don't get to enjoy the unity that the Father wants with us. We're separated from God because of our rebellion. We're like rebellious kids that constantly run away from God and don't want anything to do with him. But Jesus came and he told us about a God who loves us. And not only that, but he paid the price for what we've done in running from him and from being separated from him. And he came and he died in our place to take our punishment so that we would get a chance to be back with God and to get to call God our Father. And so this morning, if if you haven't experienced God like that before and that's uh, something that you want to get to know God in that way or you just want to talk about this uh, some more, I'd love just for you to, to talk with me after the service or stop by guest services in the back and fill out one of our connection cards and just let us know uh, that you'd like to talk about that some more because we would love to share with you more about a God who loves you and calls himself your father. Would you guys pray with me? Father, thank you so much that you love us that you're here for us and that your love for us never fails and it never fades. God, I pray just that you would continue to reveal your love and your consistency and your unwavering ability to be there for us every day. God, I pray just for uh, those of us in the room who follow Jesus, God, that you would help us to uh, fully just accept and embrace the truth of what it means to have you as our Father, God, and that you would send us out on mission to bring more people into your family, God, that you would put a passion in us for understanding how critical your love is and that you'd want us to share that with others, God. So I pray just that this church, Lord, would uh, just experience your spirit guiding us towards that. Lord, if there's anyone in this room that's never gotten to meet you, God, as a father who loves them, 
Lord, I pray just that your spirit would show up and would continue just to reveal yourself to them. Lord, and I pray just that you put people around them, whether that's uh, here at this church uh, as they get to talk with us, God, that would guide them uh, and just show them how incredible you are. Lord, we love you. We're so thankful for your love. It truly is incredible, God. And we, uh, I just pray that there are people in here this morning that are able to rest in that, God, that are able to rest in that not only are you faithful and are you powerful, God, but that you use those qualities in their life because you are interested and invested in them, God. So Lord, help us just to grasp a little more of your love for us and, and how you care for us as a father, God. We love you and we thank you so much for everything. And most of all, we thank you for Jesus who's made it all possible. God, we thank you for him and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.